So there are two words that I want, to, I want you guys to focus in on today as we start out. Uh, two words that I think are very important because the tension exists for us today just as it did back then. The first of those words is a word that we would call syncretism. S-Y-N-C-R-E-T-I-S-M, syncretism. Um, and that word means to, to take a, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and make something new. It means the blending together of syncretism, to take a little bit of this religion, a little bit of this religious thought, a little bit of this religious process, and make a new religious thought or religious belief system. So syncretism, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Let's say far to the left. The opposite of that is what we would call uh, sectarianism, dogmatic view, afraid to associate because of the fear of um, you isolate yourself because you're the fear of contamination and you remove yourself out of. You remember we used the word rescue the other day? Um, that word rescue, um, so many times we think that rescuing is bringing us out of, but it's not necessarily bringing us out of, but allowing us to have the power to live with inside um, so that we're not enslaved by sin. And that tension existed then and the tension still exists today. Um, too left, too far to the left, the good news has the ability to be distorted. It will be distorted. Are you with me? It will be distorted. You'll make it what you think it is. Too far to the, too far to the right, you remove yourself from out of the opportunity, out of the environment, from impacting the world in which God called us to live and to reach. Paul had given them the gospel when he, had, when he and Barnabas had gone uh, to, to into this area of Galatia, he had given them the pureness of the gospel, the gospel message. He had presented that to them. But word had gotten back to, to Paul that, that things weren't as they were. There were some people that had followed up behind them and, and just and said that, well, listen, you can believe in Jesus, but there's Jesus plus other things. There's Jesus plus keeping the Jewish law. There's Jesus plus circumcision. There's Jesus plus adherence to the festivals and the, and the celebrations. And Paul is writing this letter back to the Galatians, and it's going to get really serious as we go on along here. He's just right now, he's just sort of giving them some introductory things, just reminding them of who he is and where he's been. But he's saying, listen, guys, the pureness of the gospel, it isn't anything else. And so he's writing this letter back addressing the issue of the Judaizers and what they were trying to, to bring. The Judaizers, again, were saying, you can trust Christ, but, you, but there's more to the story. John 17, 15, Jesus sort of addressed this. We talk about syncretism and sectarianism, um, about too far to the left, too far to the right. When he prayed this for his disciples in John 17, 15, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but you keep them safe from the evil one. Don't go too far to the left because Satan will destroy, will distort the message of the gospel. Don't go too far to the right because you'll remove yourself right out of the world that I've called you to reach and to preach the gospel to. And that struggle is still with us today, isn't it? That's still the struggle that we face today. Paul was saying there's only one gospel that Jesus came as a sacrifice for our sins once and for all, but the false teachers were saying, well, listen, you can have Jesus and what he did on the cross, but what he did on the cross wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. 
So I want you to take Galatians chapter 2, and let's pick this story up as we continue on. Remember that he's looking back and he's reminding them of some things that has already taken place as we begin reading there in Galatians chapter 2. And I'll read this for you today. Galatians chapter 2, verses 1. And this is what he says, Then fourteen years later I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, Titus, and Barnab this time with Barnabas and Titus came along too. Paul's conversion took place, his Damascus Road experience when he met Jesus, the resurrected Christ, somewhere around 35 AD. So if you'll keep that in mind. Um, and sometime after that decision, he went to Jerusalem the first time and he, met with J and he met with James and he met with Peter, but he didn't stay there very long because he was afraid for his life. So he didn't stay there long. But what, is, what has happened is Paul is telling them at this time he's going back but he's going to stay for a period of time, but he's going to take Paul. Paul is going to take Barnabas and Titus with him back to Jerusalem to the epicenter of Christian faith. Now, Barnabas, Barnabas was this guy that sort of accepted. He didn't sort of, he did accept. He accepted Paul when, when nobody else wanted anything to do with him. Mark, when nobody else wanted anything to do with Paul, here comes Barnabas, Barnabas and he accepted him and he embraced him and he encouraged him. Uh, Barnabas was a Jew who had been converted to Christianity. Um, and uh, uh, Barnabas meant son of encouragement or preacher, the one who preaches. Um, and earlier on, when a number of people began to trust Jesus in Antioch, um, and that was the first place that, that the Christians were called Christians was in Antioch, Barnabas had been sent to Antioch from Jerusalem to, to preach and to teach those that were becoming Christians. Barnabas goes off and he gets Paul and he brings him to this place to work alongside of him, to be involved in what was going on there. And those leaders there in Jerusalem, uh, they chose Barnabas because they said that he was a man that was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit is what it says in Acts chapter 11. Now, I don't know who it is that encourages you in your faith, but every one of us needs an encourager. Kenny, you need an encourager. Faye, you need an encourager. Kelly, you need an encourager. Wes, you need... Every one of us in our faith need an encourager. Who's your encourager? Who is it that walks alongside of you that encourages you in your faith? Just think about that for a second. Who is it that encourages you? Because every one of us in this room needs an encourager. Let's flip it just a little bit. Who are you encouraging? When's the last time that you've saw and, and taken hold of the responsibility, Kenny, that as a Christ follower that God's called you to be an encourager, that he's called you to walk alongside? You know, um, Hannah, you and Laura, you guys need somebody walking alongside you right now, but you guys need to accept the responsibility of also walking alongside somebody else. But this is who Barnabas was. Barnabas recognized um, that he needed Paul. He goes and gets Paul. He brings him back to Antioch. He helps him teach those that are there. Titus, on the other hand, was a, was a Gentile. He was of Greek descent. Um, he became a believer under Paul's ministry. So Paul takes Barnabas and Titus back to Jerusalem to meet with the leaders of the early church. So you got Barnabas who was an encourager to Paul, and you've got Paul, who was a father to Titus in the ministry, and they all go. Think about that. One that encourages one and another one that encourages another. That sort of should be a sign of our churches, that an encourager has an encourager. And we learn that here. Look at chapter, chapter 2, verse 2. I went there because God revealed apocalypses, is what that Greek word means. Apocalypses revealed... 
Remember last week we said that that word revealed meant something that was unknown has now been made known. That's what it means. It said, revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with, privately with those who considered to be the leaders of the church and who were in agreement for fear that I, all of my, excuse me, considered to be the leaders of the church and shared with them the message that I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that they were in agreement for fear that all of my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. Paul went back. Why did he go back? Because it was what? Why did Paul go back to Jerusalem? God revealed it to him. God revealed that, that he should go back. And that's the only reason that he went back. His life had been transformed. And listen at this. Because his life had been transformed, his plans were not, were not the most important thing anymore. His agenda was not the most important thing. His thoughts were not the most important thing. And, and Lauren and Hannah, listen. If you're following God along this journey... Like every one of us, it's not your agenda, but it's God's agenda. And all of a sudden, God revealed something to Paul, and he tells him to go back to Jerusalem. And guess what happened? He altered his plans, whatever they were, to go and follow and be obedient to the Lord. It wasn't his agenda, but it was God's agenda. He put his stuff on hold because God revealed to him that he should go back to Jerusalem and meet with the leaders there. And that's exactly what he did. And when he did, he didn't go there with an attitude. He didn't go there saying, uh, but he, he went there with an attitude of humility and submissiveness to the authority and the leadership that was in place there in Jerusalem. And look at what Paul writes as he, as he writes, as he goes back. And listen to what he says in verse 3. And Paul said, as he went back, and if you want to go back and, and look at the story in Acts chapter 15, we read some of it last week. It sort of tells what took place. But he says, and Paul said, they supported me. The group of leaders backed what I had been teaching and what I had been preaching and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised even though he was a Gentile. Remember, Titus was Greek, so he wouldn't have been required to have been circumcised. Barnabas, on the other hand, because he was Jew, would have been circumcised. But one of the indicators that Paul had that they supported his preaching and what he was teaching was the fact that they did not insist that Titus be circumcised. Look at verse 4. Even that question, what about circumcision, came up only after some of the so-called Christians there, the false ones. And I love, if you go back and you, and you look at some of Paul's writings, he calls the Judaizers, he calls them dogs and mutilators of the flesh is one of the, I mean, isn't that a, that's a, that's a pretty... That's a pretty uh, deep char character assassination of those guys. I mean, if you're, that's, that's just an unbelievable comment that he makes. The dogs and the mutilators of the flesh, they were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us to take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. This is what you'll understand about false leaders, false apostles, false teachers, is there's always a hint of causing chaos. That's their role, is to cause chaos, to bring about question, to distort the truth. And that's exactly why they were there. These imposters were there. And I remind you that our churches are filled with imposters. I got to thinking about this. You know, the Bible says that not every man that crieth, Lord, Lord, will enter the gates of heaven, but only he that doeth the will of my Father. There are imposters probably in this room today. Those of you that claim to follow Christ, but you're not a Christ follower. You're, you're, you're an imposter. 
How do you know whether or not you're a believer, whether or not you've trusted in Christ, and whether or not you're willing to alter your plans to follow God's plan? There are postures, and they were there. Some people thought that they had been brought in. They probably were. And what these false teachers or Judaizers were saying is you aren't a real believer until you are circumcised, until you have become Jewish. But Paul knew it wasn't true. He knew it wasn't true. Look at verse 4. They, the Judaizers, wanted to enslave us by forcing us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve Diomeno, preserve, to continue throughout without interruption. We wanted to preserve, remain. We wanted the truth of gospel to remain, for that gospel message to remain for you. Now this is an interesting point. Because Barnabas, um, circumcision was a big deal for them. And Barnabas had already been circumcised because he was Jewish, because it was part of his culture. But according to what we know to be true, circumcision wasn't needed for salvation. True? That's, that's what we know. It wasn't needed for salvation. It didn't have anything to do with salvation. However, Titus was Greek, and so he had not been circumcised. Why? Because it wasn't part of his culture and because it wasn't needed for him to be saved. And, he, and also because he worked primarily with those that were Gentiles or the non-Jews. So it really wasn't an issue with anybody that he was coming in contact with. It wasn't an issue. It wasn't an issue at all. But there was a young man that Paul did work with that it was an issue, who, a young man who was raised uh, in a Jewish culture. His father was Greek, um, and he had not been circumcised. His name was Timothy. And what Paul wanted to do is he wanted to take Timothy on his next missionary journey. Uh, but before he would take Timothy, he asked Timothy, wanted Timothy to be circumcised. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if, uh, that would not be a necessarily a trip that I would want to take if that were a prerequisite of it. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine some of the things Brian could ask you guys that are going to Poland to do. And uh, some of us guys would say, I don't think so, bro. I don't, you just, it'll be a, a ladies' trip. But, <laughs> but, but if you go back and you, and you look at this, it almost looks as if Paul is talking out of both sides of his mouth. I mean, here it was, not be circumcised, but all of a sudden he's asking Timothy to be circumcised. But I want to show you very quickly because there's some differences today in the difference between Barnabas, Titus, and Timothy, specifically Titus and Timothy. Timothy, again, Titus was a Greek believer. Timothy, on the other hand, like I said, had a Greek father. He was a Gentile, or he was, and he was raised by a Jewish mother. Timothy's mother raised him from a Jewish cultural perspective. She taught him the scriptures. She taught him the Jewish traditions. Yet he had never been circumcised. And the reason he had not been circumcised was because his father didn't want him to be circumcised. Because he was Greek. So Timothy was already Jewish by race. And so for him to be circumcised would have meant that it was just part of his, his Jewish heritage. Are you with me? It was just part of his heritage. It didn't have anything to do with salvation. Paul would only insist on Timothy's circumcision, not because it was necessary for salvation, but because that he knew that it was, it was a part of his heritage, it was his faith, that if he were to send him out to talk to other people about Christ, it would be a stumbling block to them. Is that making sense? That it would be a, a stumbling block to those that were in the Jewish faith because he had not yet been circumcised. And those people that he was reaching out to would not have listened to him. 
Paul wanted Timothy to be circumcised, not because of an outward pressure, but an inside missional response to those people he was going to be reaching out to. Didn't have anything to do with salvation, but it was an inside missional response because he knew that they would be, he would, Timothy specifically would be speaking to those Jews that were non-believers. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and he says this, when I am with those who are weak, I share with their weaknesses, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I find a common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. See, if you desire to share Christ and to be intentional in that process, there will be some things that you'll have to do, and one of those things that you'll have to do is you'll have to find a point of commonality. You'll have to find some type of a way that you can introduce yourself within that culture to have an impact. Um, the greatest, uh, you know, we, we, we hear these stories, and I'm, I'm looking forward to going to Nicaragua in August. But you know, most of us never see a culture outside of what we have right here in this room. You don't understand what it's like to grow up in another place or another country where the culture is different. You don't have a clue what that's like because we never move outside of this area of our influence. Um, I'm still trying to work through because I've got all this stuff within me that's still of the law. But you know what? There's a lot of things that I might have to do one day if I am really truthfully intentional about reaching people that is not part of my culture here would not be that would be frowned upon. Let's for say, Rodney and I were having this discussion the other day, sitting at a table. Let's say you're in Papua New Guinea, and you go up in the tribal chief. You go to meet the chief. You're part of this process. And um, Rodney, explain explain what we talked about because you've had they've had this happen, right? On missionaries on the field, Ex share with them what took place. <laughs> You got to stand up so everybody can hear you. I guess it doesn't matter what culture you're. There's there's going to be differences, but hearing different stories from different missionaries, I mean, it's really the same circumstances, just different objects in place. Um, they will come to a point where they're going there to present the gospel, and usually the only way you do that is by getting to know the people, being involved with what they do, learn how they live, and all that. Well, then you come up to something that may be necessarily taboo in your culture, but not necessarily taboo in their culture. Maybe you sit down to smoke with them. Maybe you sit down and drink something that necessarily you wouldn't drink here, but you would drink there or eat something. I mean, it, should, it could be anything. Um, I mean, it's a fine line between um, doing something that's against your beliefs or doing something that's, you know, what God would say. Where do you draw the line? I guess you have to follow the Spirit in all things and ask Him to guide you. Because you may be put in a spot. In fact, I can probably guarantee you at some point you're going to be put in a position where you're not comfortable. Because most of us, the culture that we understand is what's on the cultural on the inside of the church. That's the tension that's there. It doesn't have anything to do with the gospel, does it? It has all to do with the rules and the regulations and the laws that we've been presented, that we've been raised with. And I'm still trying to figure out that. I mean, that's an issue in alcohol for me. I don't drink, never have drank, don't ever anticipate. But I, one day I may be put in a, in a, in a situation uh, where I'm in another country and, um, and that becomes all of a sudden a cultural experience that I'm part of to help me build that relationship with the opportunity of sharing Christ. You guys are looking at me like going, that's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. That's the reality, guys. Depends on how far you want to go to be able to reach some for Christ. And Paul said, I've become all things to all men so that I may reach some. I've done that. 
That's an issue. You've been there, haven't you, Tom? This is tough. But sharing Christ, we must be intentional. And Paul said, listen, Timothy, I want you to be circumcised. I don't want you to be circumcised because it has anything to do with salvation. But I desire for you to be circumcised because if you're not circumcised, you're Jewish. And if you're not circumcised, all of a sudden what's going to happen is you're going to become a stumbling block to those people that you're reaching out to. And we don't want that. I don't want you to experience that. You're going to have to learn to be sensitive to the needs and the concerns of those that are there and looking for opportunities to be able to share the gospel. The other thing that we come to understand is this right here, is that Titus was a test case for the leaders that were there. It was a theological issue that was at, at hand. Was it salvation by grace or was it salvation by works? And as Titus stood there and he was among those, the leaders that were there at that point in time, would they have Titus be circumcised because it was a part of or would they back off and say, no, it's salvation by grace. Whereas Timothy was totally different because the question was, how can those that are far away from God come to know God? So just as freedom from the law caused Paul to stand up and say, no, Titus, you don't need to be circumcised. It was the same freedom from the Lord that allowed him to look at Timothy and say, yes, be circumcised because I don't want there to anything to be a stumbling block to those that we're reaching out to those that we are sharing the gospel with. The people that Paul is fighting against, it was about freedom. It was about the freedom that we have in Christ that comes through what Jesus did, not through the law. The only thing they were concerned about was making people slave to their laws and their regulations and the rules, the list of do's and don'ts. See, the things that we really need to pay attention to in, in the gospel or in the, in, the, in the scriptures aren't the do's and the don'ts, but what we need to do, pay attention to is the teachings of God's word that are universal and binding for every one of us. Love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. How we do church and our cultures are based on a myriad, myriad of factors but what should never waver or change is the gospel message itself. Biblical Christianity says the principles are binding, yet the methods are flexible. So you obey God's word and you learn to understand the culture that you live and the ones that we've been sent in to reach. Look at verse 6. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was, what I was preaching. Paul was saying that he told them what he was preaching. The leaders of the church had nothing to add, no changes at all. Because Paul had been preaching the good news that had been given to him from the risen Savior. And I love this. By the way, the reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Don't you ever, ever, ever put Brian on a pedestal. Don't you ever put myself on a pedestal. Don't you ever put any person on a pedestal because Scripture teaches us that, that there is no difference, that we are all equal in God's eyes. Our allegiance should be to Christ and to Him alone. I remember what a, a conversation with a guy one time, and I'd sort of had enough. You ever been in a situation where you've had enough? I'd had enough. And as kind as I could and as, as decent as this was, this was my conversation. I, don't, I would just want to remind you, you put your drawers on every day like I do. I tried to be as calm and as nice and as, as kind as I could, but that was the reality of. That was the reality. Um, verse 7, Instead they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. 
This is what Paul's saying. Just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as an apostle to the Gentiles. God was blessing Peter's outreach on the inside to the Jews, and they were falling in love with Jesus. And in the same way, Paul's message to the Gentiles, those on the outside, the non-Jews, they were falling in love with Jesus. It was from a different culture. But the most exciting thing is what shoots across that culture, what shoots across those boundaries, is the gospel itself, and it, it unifies, and it brings us together. See, if you attend church in a different part of the world, you're going to experience some different things. You're going to experience some different, some different methods, and you're going to experience some different stuff. But the, the line that should run consistent from, from, from every, any place that you go, the line that should run consistent is the gospel message of what we heard a while ago, that Jesus Christ came to this earth, and he died on a cross for our sins, and he was resurrected. And our broken relationship with God is only made right through trusting and believing in what Jesus did. Our traditions and methods will change, but the gospel message must not be altered. It is what it is. There is no adjustments. There are no additions. There are no deletions. There are no subtractions. There are no multiplications to it. And see, heritage it will not stay the same. There'll be methods that'll change. We may not always be in a school. One day we may need to roll it, relocate. We might need to go to two services. We might plant more churches and how that looks. Um, and some people will say, well, you can't do it that way. We can do it any way we want to, as long as the gospel is consistent. As long as the gospel is consistent. The goal isn't to do it the way it's always been done, but it's to hold on to the truth and continue taking the gospel to those that haven't heard. See, when heritage was started, it wasn't started to change the gospel. It was to reach a group of people that had not been reached. And when you walk in here on Sunday morning, there are some things that are different. And I love the conversations that I have with people sometimes. The things that they say and the comments that they make. Well, you don't have this. Well, that's right. Well, you don't have that. Well, that's right. The gospel message is the same. It's the same because it's the culture in which we're trying to reach. And the other thing is this, you know, living in a small community or small communities, it's amazing because how many of us move from place to place to place based on the music preference or the preacher preference or the programming preference or the facility preference um, and we tend to base our assessment of a church and how well they're doing based on how it makes us feel or what we like or what we dislike. But again, guys, the most important thing is what? Are they preaching the gospel? Are they preaching the gospel? Are they sticking to what Scripture has to say in reference to how a person must be saved? Are they loving the Lord? Are they loving people? And if so, man, we need to be rejoicing with them. We need to be rejoicing with them. The body of Christ, listen, is, I know this blows you away, is much bigger than what, goes, what happens here on Sunday morning in this room. It's much larger than that. Because there are other bodies of believers that are meeting in this community that are doing God's work, that are preaching the gospel, that are having an impact, that are influencing people for Christ. 
It's not the question of how we're going about it. It's the question of whether or not, how are we preaching the gospel? I love what, I love what Paul says in verse 9. He says, in fact, James, Peter, and John were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift of God that he had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. In other words, it's not about me, baby, it's we. And we is a whole lot stronger than me. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles, and they continued their work with the Jews. Look at what's being said there. The leaders of the church who took the gospel first to the Jews saw that Paul and Barnabas were being effective in reaching out to the Gentiles, those on the inside, those on the outside, and they encouraged them in their work. That is really unusual thought, isn't it? That these group of believers would turn around and encourage this group of believers. When's the last time you've, you've went to somebody that went to a different church and you encouraged them? You heard something about what was going on in their culture of faith and you encouraged them? Do you ever do that? Or do you talk about them behind their back? I mean, how, how do you respond to people when you come upon them and you know that they're a Christian and you know that they're part of a church that, that preaches the gospel? I mean, how do you respond to them? Do you encourage them? Do you pray for them? Um, man, our role should be to bless one another, to encourage one another in the faith, to encourage them as we work together to reach out to our communities with the gospel. Man, listen, we're on the same team. You're on the same team. Moving in the same direction, hopefully. And because you're believers, you're part of God's family. See, what Billy and Steve did is, I, I was amazed, I almost lost it the other day at the airport. I, I, was really, I did really good. But as they were walking down the aisle, I thought, she doesn't have a clue. They had went over, sought her, looked for her, and they chose her, and they brought her home to be part of their family. Do you understand that your heavenly father does the exact same thing for you? That he provides that same care to bring you into his family. And for those of us that are Christ's followers, we're brothers and sisters in the family. Brothers and sisters in the family of God. And we're to encourage one another and love one another and rejoice when they rejoice and mourn when they mourn. You know, as I was doing this, I was thinking about I was thinking about uh, Mike over at Community United Methodist Church in Fruitland Park, and I was thinking about Alan, and I was thinking about Craig here at First Baptist Wildwood, and I was thinking about Cliff in Leesburg, and I was thinking about uh, um, Chad at, at Fruitland Park, and I was thinking about David down at South Point, and, and I was thinking about Bernard over here at God's Glory, and, and, uh, and I was thinking about David, and I was thinking about Don, and I was thinking about, my mind just went about all the pastors and all the churches. Can you imagine ever gathering the body of Christ together one day to have a huge worship service, the influence it would have? Wow. Wow's right, John. But we spend more of our time talking bad about people instead of trying to be a part of the body of Christ and bring it together. We do damage on the inside. I don't want that to be who heritage is. I want us to be about bringing the body of Christ together, praying for one another, watching the body of Christ function together because there's only one way of salvation. There is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What if, just what if, 
What if one day we could see the walls of the church finally come down? And we could see people in worship. Connie's just coming from, from over at, at singing at a church. Go great this morning? Yeah. What happens if we could see the walls? Can you imagine? What, it, what is it like to sit in a restaurant and to turn around and say, man, tell me what's going, what God's doing in your church? We did a, a camp several years ago called Bridging the Gap. Um, anybody go to that? Jonathan, you went to it. Yeah, Rodney went to it. We had several people that went to it. And the reason we did that camp was to bring the body of Christ of students in Leesburg together. Jonathan, it was a great experience, wasn't it? Phenomenal experience. And as a result of that, there was a tremendous amount of encouragement at that time. I remember sitting in restaurants and hearing people talking about what had taken place in the lives of their kids. And I don't even know where they went to church, but they said they went to that camp. I remember being at camp that summer and somebody calling one of the adults that had gone had called needing something. His guy had left his place of business to go with us as a chaperone for that camp. And I remember him answering the phone and him going, man, I'm just not there. I can't provide that service. And the guy asked him, where are you at? And he said, well, I'm, 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 at, I'm at a camp called Bridging the Gap. And he stopped him. He said, listen, man, I wanted to be able to go to that. I couldn't go. You stay there. Forget about me. We'll, we'll do business when you get back in town, but we're okay. You represent me while you're there. That's great. What would it be to, to, to live in a community where we, we, we focused and we pushed towards that type of an attitude? What happens if we were to get a larger perspective of the kingdom than just our small little finite position of where things are? We need to be able to celebrate what God is doing in and around us. And that's exactly what they did. Man, Peter's, they're, they're pushing it. They're preaching the gospel over here. Man, Paul and Barnabas are reaching people over here. So let's encourage them in that. Let's, be, let's, let's, uh, let's fan the flame. And then he finishes up here at verse 10 where he says this. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. This is what I want to say as I close. Um, as Paul and Barnabas were out preaching the gospel, they would collect finances and they would send it back to Jerusalem. And you know why they sent the money back to Jerusalem? It's because the believers there, the Jewish people who were accepting Christ, were being ostracized by their families because they were different. I remember being at, at camp several years ago, and... Um, and there was a guy that was doing missions at that time, and he told a story, a true story, of being uh, at college. And they never could figure out why this young man from overseas, they just really sensed God was at work in his life. Um, and they just they couldn't understand why he wouldn't step across the line and make a decision to trust Christ. Several months into the process, finally one day, he, 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 he comes forward and he says, I want to follow Jesus. And they celebrated. They didn't really understand. You know, somebody made a decision for Christ. They clapped. They were excited. Man, he trusted Christ. Great, great, great. But this whole time, this young man was just overwhelmed with, with, the, with just this, um, this, this sense of, of, of abandonment. It was a few weeks later that this young man went to the, to the, to the uh, postal service there at the college and got a box. And in that box was all of his belongings. Because what had happened is what everybody else didn't know is that within his culture, for him to choose to trust Christ would mean that he would leave and lose his earthly family. And they disowned him. Would you follow Christ if it meant losing your family? 
Would you, would you follow Christ if it meant abandoning your friends? See, we don't even have a clue what it's like to follow Christ in other cultures. We don't understand. But how far would you go? See, some of us, some of us are so afraid to, to follow Christ. Um, and we don't even have some of the stresses that some people have. But I think as I thought about this, I think there's two things for us to, to learn from this little, this little bit of passage here. And number one, how good of a job are we doing in encouraging others who are reaching out with the gospel of Christ? Number two, how many of us are really willing to alter our lifestyles, our agendas, our plans to be obedient and to truly follow Christ? See, because it's not just about praying a prayer, and it's not just about walking down an aisle, it's not just about being baptized, but it's about saying, I abandon everything to live for you, to trust you. That's, that's real faith. And these guys had put their lives on the line. See, we live in a culture, a church culture, that it, everything, that's one of the dangers, that's one of the distortions of the gospel today is we live in a church culture where we just come to church on Sunday morning and live like hell the rest of the week. But we come to church on Sunday morning just to feel like we've done our job, done our duty. Our churches are filled with people that are crying out. But they don't know Jesus. The only thing that saves us is not your church attendance, it's not your giving. It's not your extra special efforts. The only thing that saves us is what Christ did for us and finished for us on the cross. That's it, nothing else. It's not how many verses you have memorized. It's not how many times you're in a Bible study. It's not your perfect attendance on Sunday morning. The only thing that pays the price for our sin is what Jesus did on the cross. And the question is, have you ever trusted him? If not, why not? Why not? Because just as Billy and Steve adopted Nadia into their family and, and, and they went looking for her, man, God is waiting on you to adopt you into his family. Would you just say yes to him? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. And as we continue to read and walk through this book of Galatians, there's a greater picture that continues to take place, Lord, as the stories have been told and the of, of Paul in the past and how he got to where he was and the preaching of the gospel. Uh, but he gets more and more intent uh, as we get closer to chapters 3 and 4 uh, just about um, the reality is the gospel is the truth. It's the only way. Father, may we stay close to that as a church. I pray you'd encourage us, Father. There are going to be some people that we're going to meet this next week that are out there. And God, I pray that we'd become encouragers. We would become a Barnabas to people that are out there. For those that are attending other churches that are gospel preaching, Father, I pray that we would find a way to intentionally encourage them. Even that we would even maybe with our family stop and take a moment to pray for other churches beside Heritage and our influence within this community. Because we're a whole lot stronger working together than we are separated and trying to do it on our own. Father, I'm also praying uh, today for those that are here uh, that don't know Christ. Um, Father, those that maybe have just been caught up in the culture of doing church, if there's someone here uh, that has been trying to just get it all done with all their effort, even today would you bring it to the reality of their mind that, God, it's not by our efforts that we're saved, but it's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on Calvary. 
By faith are we saved. By faith. For by faith. God's grace. Father, thank you for this day. And if there's someone here that doesn't know Christ, would they even find me after this service? For those of us that are believers, may we walk out this door to be encouragers. May we fan the flame of Christ within this community. May we be willing to stretch and to become intentional and to find those areas that we can connect with unsafe people. Father, help us be a church uh, that is your church, that is reaching people. Um, that's, my, that's my prayer. Because it's in that, uh, Lord, that we'll be able to leave that heritage of faith. Bless us as we leave out and as we walk out these doors this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.